passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Rewind the dynamite from the most recent sight. AEW lighting up the fuse. Sit back and enjoy the bubbly. As we hear from John and Waiting. Where we're going, we don't need roads. And if the buck stops here, this thing might blow. Everything you hear, opinions of the show. And if you don't like it, go to the forums and let them know. And we are live. Welcome to Rewind to Dynamite. I am John Pollock, and the man is here, Wei Ting. Hello, Wei. Hey, John. How you doing? Dude, what a quiet day. I went to see Babylon. I stuck around, and then I watched uh, Puss in Boots right after. Like, what oh, am I going to yes. do with the rest of my day? Oh, I I have no idea. No. I don't even remember this morning. I don't even remember that period of where you wake up and the first like hour or two of your every day. That just uh, that's a distant memory uh, at this point. It's been a pretty crazy um, 24 hours. I would it's say. been it's been very, very busy. Well, we are not going to waste any time. We have a big edition of Dynamite to discuss and many, many news items that are happening around the world. Uh, but we want to alert everyone that if you are so inclined to join the Post Wrestling Cafe, what can people find in their feeds today if they can find a, a couple minutes or uh, two hours, 32 minutes? Uh, John and I yesterday did a review of WrestleMania 8. I mean, it's hard for me to think of a maybe worse time to promote a podcast looking back at WrestleMania eight, unfortunately. But if you did, you know, now that the new cycle hopefully has died down for maybe a few hours, consider taking some time to go back and listen to John and I reminisce and talk about WrestleMania eight featuring, of course, Sid justice versus Hulk Hogan, macho man, Randy Savage versus Ric Flair and Bret the hitman Harper's Roddy Piper. Yeah, I really believe like um, these shows, I think we are going so much more uh, deep into them with a lot of the news, a lot of which at times can tie into uh, present day what is going on. There was a case here, but as well, like a lot of the interviews that we dig up or, you know, anecdotes to different matches. I feel like we, we, we've been on a good run of, of shows way and this one was no exception. Yeah, great choice here from uh, Jake Simpson, our executive producer. So uh postwrestlingcafe.com video.postwrestling.com is where you can find all of our bonus content all right and a heads up that this friday way and i are going our separate ways i will be joining john Cena to do 
the Hard to Kill post show as Impact Wrestling is back. We'll go over that card a little later on. So that will be available for Post Wrestling Cafe members. Making Rewind to SmackDown a free show this Friday at 11 Eastern with Wei Ting and Kate from Montreal as they will discuss SmackDown in Green Bay and then Rampage, which is being taped now at the Kia Forum that they have uh, promoted. So both of those coming up Saturday night. The NWA podcast is coming your way with Nate, Andrew and Chris that I have been told will be approximately 20 hours in length uh, once they get the the rants included with all the news that is going on. And then your your cherry at the end of the week, a cherry on the Sunday, as we call it here. WrestleNomics will be dropping with Brandon, Chris and Jesse this week. Nothing, no shortage to discuss many, many topics. And we have a show up today with Brandon Thurston discussing all of the news from the past 24 hours. Stephanie McMahon's resignation from WWE. Vince McMahon elected back as executive chairman and where the company is uh, with all of the discussions about a potential sale. What are the options out there? Where is this company going? A lot of that broken down with myself and Brandon Thurston. And I sort of wanted to start their way because I got to uh, talk about this uh, throughout the day, but I want to get some of your thoughts uh, going back to the announcement of Stephanie McMahon resigning from the company and all that that followed. Mm-hmm. I mean, it seems pretty much, you know, uh, even more confirmation that um, things probably aren't so great um, in their relationship and that maybe Stephanie McMahon most likely um, was not in favor of her father coming in and, uh, who knows what else, you know, um, it, 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 it just kind of seems like it's the next step of this power play of, of Vince McMahon's in to, to, and, uh, who knows, you know, internally what sort of, uh, I don't know, struggles, um, existed prior to her announcing her departure, but she clearly didn't want to be a part of it for whatever reason, whether it be to do with the sale or maybe just, you know, not wanting to be a part of the struggle period. Yeah. I mean, that's something that I don't know. If, if we'll get like a a true honest answer out of uh, Stephanie McMahon in, in the future or if there would be a follow up reporting on that exit, because when you look at that transcript on Friday of meeting with all of the employees, it's certainly a different tune that she is singing that, you know, that her Nick Khan and Frank Riddick were all kind of echoing that they're Vince's back, but there's not going to be any changes. We're all in our respective roles. And Stephanie going so far to say, this is not a scary time. It's an exciting time, even though, uh, you know, pretty much catching herself as noting that there's probably going to be some animosity before she corrects herself and just says angst, you know, some natural emotions you might be feeling. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, a, a rare, I would say, slip from, Stephanie, who is very, very prepared in these situations, but uh, I, I don't doubt, like, obviously, that she is reflecting what a lot of people are feeling in that company. I mean, if if you think you know you you've been getting a lot of questions, can you imagine the amount of people that have been trying to hit her up? You know, an entire company, entire industry, really. You know, asking her about you know what this means for for them. Um, I, I'm sure they're they're very privy to. And she was only really speaking the truth. Yeah, there's a there is a lot of animosity or angst out there. I mean, I also don't think we can completely rule out you know her reasons for actually wanting to leave, like she stated the the, the time prior, wanting to dedicate herself a lot more to her family. Um, I'm I'm sure that's probably playing a factor as well. 
And there could be, at the end of the day, a bit of a redundancy factor. Like once Vince is back and taking this position, like what is my role um, mm-hmm. at this time? Like she was not coming back as chief brand officer. She was coming back to be a co-CEO with Nick Khan. And I do think of the two, um, which one was going to scare people more, Stephanie or Nick Khan leaving? It certainly would be Nick Khan leaving. That I think would, would be a much different reaction that we would see today. But everything is contingent on this sale and the expectation of Wall Street that this company is going to be sold. And, you know, from the various reporting, it would appear that while a sale could happen, it looks like one is not finalized yet. But that is not mm. to say that a sale could not be finalized and one that could end up with the Saudi Arabia public investment fund. Like we, we discussed this on Monday. We kind of went through the different potential suitors for WWE. There's a lot of reasons why this could end up being purchased uh, by the, the Saudi Arabia investment fund and, Mm -hmm. you know, pros and cons. And I know some people might raise an eyebrow to that, but you know, if, this investment fund, and I brought this up with Brandon, like they are not an existing entity that is gobbling up another entertainment company and bringing in their own people to uh, constrict jobs and lay people off. Like there may be some job security for some of these employees, whereas an Endeavor, like we lived through that way with the UFC and what happened when Endeavor came in and they iced out a lot of people because that's what happens in these either acquisitions or mergers is there's a leaning after a major acquisition and suddenly, well, we've got two people in this role. We only need one. And that happens frequently. Certainly. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, pros and cons to, to every single um, scenario, I'm sure. This one, though. We'll, we'll spend a different show talking about the cons of okay. such a uh, purchase. That is correct. Yeah. But, um, you know, anybody who, who is going to potentially receive a paycheck from the WWE, if that, you know, uh, PIF sale, um, takes place is going to have to maybe ask themselves some sort of question about whether or not they're happy accepting the, a paycheck from, you know, a, a very, very controversial, um, owner. Um, so, but that's, you know, that, that, that's for every single person to decide, but you bring up a great point, you know, um, if, if they were like in terms of autonomy, I, I mean, you know, this sort of purchase, I think would ultimately grant the people of the WWE the most, um, at the same time though, does it affect the, the TV rights deal negotiations? Does it ultimately have a la- lasting negative effect on the health of the business? Yeah, I mean, it's a major question. Like, you would never want to jeopardize those television deals and not being purchased by a Comcast or a Fox or, you know, a, a streamer. You're, 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 you need those television deals. Those are vital to maintain and grow the revenues that have allowed this company to explode to such a, to be able to generate a billion dollars in a, in a fiscal year. So, is there going to be hesitancy in a Saudi Arabia owned WWE? There's certainly, I know a lot of people are going to compare it to live golf. I do see them as somewhat different because, you know, WWE is ingrained in these companies that have experience and USA network knows firsthand that are we going to let our moral judgment override the fact that the loss of this show is going to plummet our network average. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I feel it's almost like a weekly theme on this show where we we weigh morals with the financial implications, and it's pretty much uh, an undefeated record to the latter. Yes, yes, yeah, that is um, 
I, I think one of the, I don't know, an unfortunate um, effects of the system that has been created um, it, in many ways, it works beautifully, but in other ways, you know, it, it does not. Um, we'll see how this plays out, but at this point, nothing really shocks me in terms of uh, morals uh, attached to Vince McMahon in this company right now. Um, you know, this is about, I think as, as bad as, as, you know, of a scenario as, we could get out of the options that we laid out on Monday um, in terms of morality, you know, like the the big picture here is this guy is running away from his uh, very, you know, um, terrible accusations um, into the arms of, you know, arguably um, a, a potential buyer that has far more, um, um, you know, um, terrible attached to its, its name. Um, so as a wrestling fan, you know, I mean, yesterday was maybe all but a preview of, I think, you know, the reaction that we might ultimately see if the sale goes through, but, um, there was a lot of, um, you know, obviously understandably, uh, upset feelings from the wrestling audience. Yeah. Um, so I would direct people to check out our show with Brandon from earlier today. It's going to be a major story to continue following and many questions that come up with it and the, the various ways that this can go that, um, are going to have lasting, lasting effects on the outlook of WWE. And for some out there, I mean, this could very well be that sort of fork in the road where people will sort of question their support of a company. Like we see what the reactions are twice a year to these cards in Saudi Arabia. Well, now this is a different beast when you're talking about um, an entire company that is owned and operated and what kind of reflection that is. What What is the the public investment fund, what are they investing in? What kind of product do they want reflected to the world that they are investing in? And how will the consumer feel about that? It's a, a question that from top to bottom, you're asking those types of questions in terms of the the support that will be given or taken away from WWE. I have not seen, um, this might come as a shock to you, John, but I have not seen any of Live Golf. Um, so I'm, or, or, uh, any Newcastle games recently, but I'm kind of curious to see like what, you know, is, is there any in, instance of anything that somebody might consider Saudi propaganda in any of those products? Um, so, you know, or is this strictly a way for the Saudis to, to make money? I guess you'd figure, you know, there are other investments than, you know, sports leagues to, to make money. Like the whole point of vision 2030 is to promote maybe, maybe the name and, and, um, and what what they perceive the value above what they are currently receiving twice a year for a hundred right. million roughly is obtaining them. Like what is buying this company? What do they expect in addition to what they get? Which is pretty much like that is what what they want. Like it's it's a glowing representation by WWE that you know they they place on their platform of promoting th this country and in sometimes getting, you know, a press conference and an MBS chant will break out. And, yeah. th and th these, are, and these are all things that wrestling fans have just got accustomed to. And I, th and, and it goes well beyond pro wrestling. Like this is encountering many, many different facets of sports and entertainment. MBS will essentially be an owner of the company if this deal goes through. Well, sure. You need a Hall of Fame inductee, and Jesus Christ, um, there's wow. all these different um, synergies that can be explored. Mm -hmm. Yep. So more, more to come, and uh, we are going to move on because uh, quite a lot here to tackle tonight. So um, we move on to Dana White, 
uh, the other um, prime figure over the past week of coverage. So he showed up today at the media day ahead of Saturday's fight night card. This was uh, unexpected. And he just sat down and immediately addressed the incident of him slapping his wife on New Year's Eve with the with the video and opened himself up to questions. The this lasted about under 15 minutes and all of the questions concern the incident and what Dana White is or is not doing about this. I'm going to get this out of the way that I know that Dana White is maybe the last person anyone wants to um, throw any accolades towards, but of this entire story, Dana White appears to be one of the few people that ran from the story when it, when it comes to people above him and uh, in concert with him and the UFC's business. I mean, this guy put himself on a, on a, on a dais here. Now you can also look, um, you know, from the side of this as a media strategy. And don't get me wrong. This was a strategic move as well. That mm-hmm. does allow for cover. Now, anytime Dana is asked, he can say, I addressed all of this. I addressed this at the press conference. You had your chance to ask your questions there. Um, this is a way that I think he can hopefully get this out of the headlines. But this is somebody that is not offering any excuses. But at the same time, also looks like he is not facing any punishment either. His punishment is I have to live with this for the rest of my life and people labeling me this, that's the punishment, which in everyday Those were his words. Just those were his words. Yeah. Yes. That he has to live with this and that's that's the punishment. What are you going to do? Send me away for 30 days? That would hurt the company, the employees and the fighters, not me. I could disappear. It's it's no problem. But way if you or I were in this scenario, um not only would be we be labeled this and have to walk with this, but we would also have to be punished on top of it, which is typically how punishment works is that, yes, you are guilty of something and there will be a part of you that is going to be tied to something if, if it's if it's bad enough and egregious enough to the public. Mm-hmm. But it does not look like he is facing any kind of sanction, any kind of any any kind of um, discipline for this, nor are the people that would be administering that punishment saying a word. It's as though they are putting Dana out there to just take take it and that's it. I think that part of the story is is maybe a bit sadder. You know, it, Dana feels like he's confronting this issue a lot more in the public eye than his bosses are. And and that's really unfortunate. Um I, I missed I didn't I didn't realize he had said something about how um you know, you'd be punishing the fighters and not me if if he, he took said if he if days. he took it if he took a leave from the company like if he was okay. uh, left for thirty days he's like that doesn't hurt me he's like that would that would impact the company negatively. I'm and curious to know specifically what that means. I think it's his belief, and this very much uh, connects to Vince McMahon. The idea of WWE without Vince McMahon for years was thought to be well, we we need Vince McMahon, and we got the answer to that six months without Vince McMahon. The, the the train kept rolling without him, and I think the same would be the case in the UFC. There is no one person in a in an organization organization that big that I I think is is not expendable. Like everybody can you know go away, and the company will will continue just as fine as it as it was. I mean, okay, sure, maybe like you know you'll be a bit disorganized for a period of time, but you cannot tell me that he's so important to the company that he cannot be suspended for. 30 days, 60 days, or, or however long. Um, I just, I, I don't really understand that particular logic and that particular excuse, but you know, at least he's saying something about it, which is a lot more than you could say for Endeavor, Endeavor. 
and and you know and um, and i mean he brought up the fact i mean as as the broadcaster very very much so i mean you you are starting to see more coverage of this on on the espn side but in terms of the parent company like they just deflected from you know we we just run this but you Mm. if if you want to just strictly look at endeavor um dana brought up the fact that no one is happy about this specifically mentioning ari emmanuel and espn it's like they're obviously they're not happy about this but they're not condemning him they're not coming out with any kind of stance and the funny part is like Dana White is the one that is not asking for any excuses or trying to deflect blame. He is not trying to come out here and position himself in any way, shape or form as a victim or anything like that. So to me, it's almost like the silence is the complicity in this in that are you or are you not against um Domestic violence, I think, mm-hmm. would be a simple statement that we in no way condone this. And sometimes, you know, when you get to the root of a punishment, it is not just the fact that you are hoping that the person who has done wrong is going to learn from it. And it, this this punishment will get them to that understanding of where they went wrong. But it is also a message that in a civil society, we do not operate in a way that does not have checks and balances, that there are mm-hmm. not consequences for actions. Dana White, I, I will take him at his word that he is deeply apologetic for, for this and ashamed by his actions. At the same time, that does not absolve you from punishment, that sometimes it is endeavor t- telling the world that even somebody at this level, it is not okay to strike a woman. And we are making a stance here. It is not about Dana White being financially uh, handicapped by a suspension. It is a statement to everybody that intakes our product that when this happens, we do not condone this. And I'm not going to even the extreme of Dana White needing to be fired. But there are a gigantic gulf between firing Dana and doing nothing, which is where we are at doing nothing. You can't Mm -hmm. tell me there is somewhere in between that properly states we as a company do not condone this kind of violence against women. Full stop. 100% completely agreed. Yeah, um, it's at at this point now where I mean, I feel like this this story has gotten a whole lot of attention publicly. so much quite so- a bit over these th- th- this past week and some of that was fueled by at first it not getting a whole lot of attention but you are starting to see a lot of larger outlets when Jamel Hill is writing about this when you have uh, the California Legislative Women's Caucus which is made up of 17 senators in California calling for Dana White's removal I, I don't know if that is necessarily going to be uh, lead to anything but nonetheless you th- th- this has become a much more significant story than I feel the first 24 to 48 hours when we were talking about it. Mm -hmm, Certainly. Yeah. What level does the pressure have to build publicly in order for some action to take place in order for power slap to not just be delayed by a week, but you know, um, removed from the schedule outright. Um, I, 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 I think very much, you know, Endeavor, uh, TBS, you know, these are people that are just basically waiting for the story to die down before they could proceed with business as usual. And I think that would be really unfortunate. That's going to be the hope. I think that has been the strategy this past week is we put Dana on TMZ and we're just going to ride out the news cycle. Let people write their editorials, r- let MMA media um, talk about this. And that's. Unfortunately, they are going to react to the ones that are 
that ones that are the pressure points of a company, stock, sponsors, mm-hmm. advertisers, broadcast partners. And thus, that is why those are the people that we look at to stand up in these situations because they have the power. Because I can rant and rave and write a million articles, but let's be honest, that is not in, in invoking any type of change. It is the people that have those pressure points with the company. And that goes to sponsors of this, which it was brought up to Dana. Have, has there been any financial damage to this company vis-a-vis sponsorships? And he has said, not that he is aware of, but it's still early. Like maybe, um, it, to me, it's deplorable what TBS is doing. They are delaying this a week. The ads were running throughout Dynamite on the US feed tonight. So they are going full-fledged ahead. I think it's an utter embarrassment for that broadcaster to be going with a power slap league as Dana White. Well, they're calling it Dana White's power slap, and it was Dana over the advertising. I did not see the advertising. but Chat room, let us know if you guys saw. Yeah, please give us the exact uh, wording of that, and if Dana White was part of the advertising, because unfortunately we cannot see that up here in Canada. Um, But also worth noting, nothing within the body of Dynamite as well, which you would think next Mm -hmm. week will be maybe a a closer show to watch if there's any embedded advertising or or direct advertising from an Excalibur or Taz on the show as well. But again... Those are the the areas that whether it is a Vince McMahon, whether it is a Dana White, those are the people that the few that have that power that is going to cause these companies to react. When you saw Endeavor stock uh, go down last week, I mean, those are the things they react to. They react to monetary loss of mm-hmm. how bad is something. It is determined by our profits and losses and how those are impacted. It is not a a weighing of our conscience that comes to how big a controversy is. The system does not make room for conscience. Um, it's a system based on numbers and these actions will, will be dependent on numbers. Beyond that, um, I, I do want to say that, you know, for a lot of uh, times, um, the MMA media, and I hate the grouping, I hate, hate the grouping of any Type anyone really? I, I think it's very lazy to ever just paintbrush everybody. But I thought the those that were represented at the at uh, the press conference today, I thought they asked a lot of good questions from the sponsorships to other females on the roster that have been victims of domestic violence. What will happen to fighters that? That inevitably we will have fighters on the roster that Mm -hmm. are part of domestic violence cases. What will happen then? How can you punish fighters after, you know, they're going to have to be labeled as that as such? Is that enough of a punishment for them is that they are known as someone that struck a woman? Um, Anyway, a lot of good questions were brought up. And to my understanding, they did not know ahead of time Dana was coming to media day. So they were reacting in the moment, too. So um, so, some applause there that they're. It was not just simply let Dana get his statement out and then we're going to ask him about when Connor's coming back. They they continued and asked a lot of questions and we at least had uh, Dana White having to ask uh, answer for them. And we will see how open he will be if he is asked about this in the future or if he's going to deflect to I did my 10 minute press conference and that was me addressing it. I'm moving on. Several people in the chat room letting us know that Dana White is not a part of the name. No Dana at all in the, in the advertising. Uh, uh, James Robinson here says just a bunch of macho dudes living together when they're not slapping each other for sport. Okay, well, that's really important because the the selling of that show was Dana White's name and mm. and himself attached to that series. And that's going to be very interesting next week to see how much of Dana is in that show. I don't think you could edit around Dana 
if he is, you know, figured in prominently as well, let's remember the ultimate fighter. Like, yes, Dana was all over, like introducing the the challenges and, and introducing mm-hmm. the fighters and all that. You would presume he's he's playing a similar role on a show like this. Can they minimize that involvement at all? We'll we're see. going to, we're going to see i mean and if if the editing process had anything to do with delaying it that that week um the fact that they are not advertising dana attached to the series i think that that's very significant because that is like that's the reason this has a television deal that's the reason that this is this show is happening is because of dana white i do not think this series is going to do well at all i didn't think it was going to be a big hit to begin with and i think there's going to be a lot of um even people like that had curiosity about this show that are going to have a moral stance against watching this show. Like I will not be tuning into this at all. And I'm wondering how many people out there are that were even interested out of curiosity to watch the first episode that would still go ahead and and do this next week. Same, you know, um, I'm, I'm more so just attracted to the story of, um, what TBS would do in this situation. And it seems like they're going ahead, which, you know, they must have a lot invested in it all. Um, do you see Dana White doing any more media over this next week to promote this series? It's very possible, John, you know, I, I, it seems like, you know, he didn't have to speak to the media today and, and chose willingly to do so. It, it fits with his image of, a, of, you know, a guy who, uh, speaks his mind and, uh, often says things that, you know, people don't like. Um, but, uh, I hope whoever gets the chance to interview him continues to press, you know, the level of consequence that I think, um, might be beyond a label. Yeah. Um, some actual, you know, some actual, and and I think that there, there are a lot of questions to come his way, but when it comes to the punishment, it becomes very difficult because like, wait, if you are guilty of something and then it's like, okay, well, way, how should you be punished? Like, it's kind of difficult for you to be in the position as both the, uh, as the assailant and you're also now, uh, convicting yourself and giving yourself a sentence. Like, where are the people that are to, administer this penalty to dana white where are they in this whole thing sure absolutely i mean i would i would argue sometimes you know if people are caught in these sort of situations that are ultimately affecting the brand that they're working for and affecting the brand that represents not just them but other people uh in, in other employees i mean they would take themselves out to you know limit limit the negative exposure um of pr to to that brand i you know i hope that- he doesn't call up vince mcmahon like I'm thinking <laughs> yeah. of stepping away. I got some terrible advice last summer, Dana. That was my mm-hmm. big lesson last summer is don't don't walk away from from the fire. You're you'll be fine. People will get over this kind of thing. But you know, the questions maybe aren't just for Dana, but for his employers and 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 other partners. It could be. And I I don't look at this as as though this is a this is a dead issue. And mm-hmm. I think this is going to so- be something that follows Dana for a long time and I think it will follow Endeavor too in the sense that we know there will be another incident in in the future and it's going to come back to you did not act in this situation when a very prominent power figure in your company was caught on tape there was there was no ambiguity about this it is mm-hmm. plain as day and that video will follow dana and i think it will follow endeavor because of their inaction uh, during this this entire thing as well do you imagine vince mcmahon holding a similar press conference absolutely not 
about his allegations? Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't think so, dude. Yeah, probably not. Um, okay. Another, um, another, uh, not so great MMA story. And we had the latest on Phil Baroni. And this comes courtesy of Carlos Contreras Legaspi of ESPN Deportes, who has the latest. So, uh, Phil Baroni, who is still, is still in custody. Um, the state general prosecutor, uh, informed ESPN Deportes that he is facing, uh, an aggravated charge of femicide. And you can look up the definition of femicide, essentially like, you know, horrific actions against uh, a female and it carries a sentence of up to 75 years in prison. Uh, the public ministry's office has ruled out Baroni's version of the events that he described that led to uh, the death of his girlfriend, uh, that she was shoved into either a shower or a bathtub. I've seen both descriptions um, because her injuries were seen from head to toe all over her body, uh, which would not be consistent with just a, a fall inside of a shower or a bathtub. Um, Baroni does have a private attorney and if he pleads guilty, he could see his, um, his uh, time in prison reduced by 25%, which is still um, a lifetime. He has the right to be extradited to the U S but might face opposition uh, from the state in Mexico uh, from him uh, leaving uh, to, to go be tried and potentially serve time in the U S and the sister of the victim testified um, that she had seen bruises and hematomas on the victim in the past, uh, but that she was afraid to go to the authorities for fear of a violent reaction. And so that is the latest and uh, d- d- does not look uh, very bright for Phil Baroni, uh, a horrible, horrible story um, to um, recap as well. But that is the latest on him. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Tonight at the uh, at the Kia Forum, there was a graphic that appeared that uh, showed that ROH's Supercard of Honor looks to be taking place Friday, March the 31st at the Galen Center in Los Angeles, which would be the Friday of WrestleMania weekend. Uh, the Galen Center is a pretty big arena. I saw it like estimates that it can hold up to 10,000 people. And this would be on the Friday of the SmackDown Hall of Fame combo uh, that's yeah. happening in the city as well. But uh, that's our graphic. Uh, worth noting, uh, the Briscoe brothers in, involved as well on the poster there with your other champions. Champions. And yeah, it's uh, more so I'm not as surprised that they're doing this because Tony Khan pretty much indicated on the last conference call the idea of running ROH WrestleMania weekend and the chance to expose that brand to newer fans on top of it. So I don't see them running AEW on a WrestleMania weekend, but ROH seems to be a happy medium for them. And Probably their best weekend to to draw. Um, I don't think they're doing ten thousand, but at least uh, better than a standalone weekend. It's it's an R, it's an AEW show, John. You know, like it, it like half the talent. No, on the show no, was, I was I was there at that press conference after Full Gear. They are separate companies. Way uh, yes, of course, yeah. Um, no, I mean no surprise. And you know, um, it sounds like a pretty big arena, which I think is is justified for you know prior Super card, Cards of Honor um, uh, during WrestleMania weekend. You have so many so many more wrestling fans that are probably going to be willing to sample um, an ROH product that they otherwise might not you know be uh, willing to travel to. Um, it's going to go up against SmackDown potentially, uh, unless it's an afternoon show. I guess at this point we don't really know. Um, and what about Friday, Rampage? Friday afternoon would be tough. Um, 
especially in LA. Remember, this is, you know, the, the time zone as well. Um, right. You know, it's, it's going to be in like the afternoon anyway for those that are in LA. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and what about Rampage? Um, it's, it, I believe they're doing dynamite rampage tapings pretty much consistently for the next couple of months with a few exceptions like that San Francisco week at the cow palace. But I would imagine it's a dynamite rampage taping on Wednesday. So we just might get a bit of a head to head on TV. Yeah. Much like last year, I imagine. And Mm -hmm. I would think like they got the, uh, the, the approval or go ahead, much like Tony Khan brought up, um, last year that you had that conflict. How do you think it'll do? It's a good question. I think that this show does better than it would have done um, if you had just, say, done this four weeks later on its own in the same venue or another market. I think that this – I imagine it's going to be a loaded-up card, and you're right. I mean this really will be an AEW card masked as ROH Super Card of Honor and maybe a chance to do some really unique matches. I am more – I would put it this way, that my guess is that the options for fans that night will be ROH – uh, WWE Hall of Fame, which I think mm-hmm. a lot of people would be choosing this over, and probably a uh, doing a, a game changer show, which might not even run over. I, as I recall, last year it was like a midnight show from Game Changer after like all after of that. The Hall of Fame, yeah. Mm-hmm. So they'll be at the Ukrainian Cultural Center all weekend. Um, so I, I don't know distances uh, between these shows, but I, I would be pretty high on this one. Doing, you know, I would say if you could draw, you know. F- Five to six thousand. I mean, that that to me would be a real big success uh, on 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 that weekend. That might be even a little high, but it's also a weekend where whatever you think a show is going to draw, it might get a bit of a bump because of that. And this will be one of the bigger um, non WWE shows of the weekend. You would what, think. What's the biggest supercard of honor? That it would, could be, um, would it be MSG. It would have been well. That wasn't. Uh, it was the G one Supercard. Yeah, that one would be the biggest. And if you throw out that one because of the the novelty of it all at Madison Square Garden, then it was the New Orleans show the we, the year before that we went to. And do you have a number? Like New Orleans, I believe was eight thousand. Okay, I think that was that. That was the Kenny Omega Cody Rhodes match. Right, right. Yeah, you're right. Like, I mean, I, I'm ballparking simply, you know, just based off of maybe prior. I mean, without Kenny, uh, you would imagine on a show like this, but, you know, being led by uh, Claudio and Joe, um, could it do that well? You know, I'm sure that's the hope, but um, I think it'll be a successful show either way. Could you see that being um, doing like a, a Joe Jericho? Or do you think that Jericho at this point is probably done when it comes to ROH? Like, we, we've been there, done that. Because ROH is, you know, seems like it's strictly um an honor club type of property i i would suspect jericho might be might be done with his run at this point but you know maybe tony will just want a really really hard uh sorry like a like a really hot you know main event and uh and and he'll load the card up with you know your danielsons and and whatnot like they could potentially do another uh, roh hall of fame type of thing uh, that's right for this thing as well so we shall see yeah it's la maybe maybe you get shibata in there uh L.A. Shibata. Yeah. Wonderful. Absolutely. Let's do it. Dax Harwood on his podcast uh, gave an update regarding FTR. And uh, this was transcribed. I want to give a a shout out to Jeremy Lambert at Fightful. And so this was Dax explaining where the two are at when it comes to, you know, all of their title losses recently. He said, um, 
right now at this point in our career is the most important time in our career. I mean that monetarily, creatively, and personally. It's the most important time in our career. With that being said, we have asked and been granted the next few months off of television so we can sit back, reflect, decide, let our bodies heal, and figure out what we're going to do for the next few years. Whatever we decide to do next will be the absolute last thing we do as far as wrestling. He went on to say that by April, we will have an answer. I have to take my health, my family, my creativity, and I have to take my personal life all in consideration about what we're going to do next. I know what I want to do, but whatever we do, I just want to be respected. I feel we have done something so special in 2022, and most of that is in part to the fans. We deserve to continue to build on our legacy for ourselves, but also we owe it to the fans to build on that legacy because they made us this past year. I'm not sure exactly how long we'll be away. It may be all the way until the end of our contract. Our contract is up in April. So he's not guessing anymore. He is saying it more definitively. His contract mm-hmm. is up in April. And yeah, it would it would seem like if you are AEW, um, you probably don't want to put them on television until you have a commitment from them. It would uh, unless you have like an angle to shoot where they're involved in a main event and then they're taken out. And then we have a dream sequence two weeks later when they're gone. Um Beyond that, um, maybe maybe you don't want to have them on television until you know what the long term future is for these two with your company right yeah i mean uh, you know the ass boys did deliver a great eulogy last week and you'd figure that there'd be some uh some it might be a event. shoot uh yeah that i mean that could have been just the sign off like yeah you really are leaving that that thing hanging i mean it, it, they have enough justification i think that to, to take some time off um even in story having dropped all, all their title belts and maybe eventually once the you know they'll come back but if they don't come back even um i it, it, it was it was an all right send off i think you know in this interview dax is right that like they there was some money left on the table you know everybody's probably considering you know thinking about that bucks match with ftr for that final championship that you know for whatever reason never really took place um but, you know, I don't know how else you really complain about this run, man. Like, this past year was absolutely incredible. But, of course, like, this is sort of like, you know, like a, a bit of a politicking period for FTR and DAX. They are out to look for the biggest money option that they can get. Anytime somebody says, I'm doing this for my family, I mean, that pretty much means I'm out to make the most money that I can. And they should. Whether- and they should. And they absolutely deserve it. So, you know, the, the obvious choices are AEW and WWE. Is WWE as colorful of an option as it was, you know, maybe uh, two weeks ago for uh, guys like define colorful, like <laughs> it won't be boring. It won't be boring if you go to WWE. Well, mainly with Vince at charge and the ability for somebody like him to promise a great deal, but potentially pull it away at any second. One of the, the you know, countless um, things I'm interested in. You know, if a sale goes through is what we saw living through the transfer of the UFC from Zufa to Endeavor, because if you remember, like the discussion of fighter pay, like it's always been there. It exploded after that sale when all of these fighters suddenly they saw how how valued this promotion was and how big these TV deals have gotten. And you know what percentage we get of a sale or TV deal? Absolutely nothing. We don't get a percentage of any of that. And part of that, you, you certainly have to put on the fighters that have not organized themselves in such a way to force themselves into a, a cut of that because the UFC and WWE are not going to be voluntarily handing them over a percentage of any of that. But it did leave a ton of unrest among fighters and you didn't have the same kind of loyalty when the Fertitas were gone. And suddenly it was this giant conglomerate that had taken over the company and 
you know, a lot of fighters felt much more secure in speaking out about fighter pay issues. And I am just curious that if the WWE goes for some huge figure that it will go to, it's just a matter of how many, how many billions it is sold for. If you are going to look at, at that, if you're a talent and say, yeah, I'm making nice money, but I am not figured into any of these TV deals. I'm not making anything off of this sale. And it's like, you could make arguments that all these people are, underpaid but again that comes down to like these talents that would have to organize and wrestlers especially wwe they are not ones that typically speak out of turn and complain about these things publicly like we have seen from ufc fighters certainly yeah unless john cena gets together with roman reigns and becky lynch and i don't know maybe uh brock lesnar and the four of them decide to sit at the table and they decide to, you, you know, uh, organize some sort of walkout. Um, <laughs> I'm just trying to think, I'm just laughing, thinking about Brock Lesnar even being a part of this, uh, even showing up to the meeting. Um, unless that happens, I, even if that happens, John, let's be honest here, you know, what point of leverage does talent actually have? Well, we, we, we've seen FDR the precedent way in the, in how has the UFC suffered by not having Conor McGregor fight, have it, not having John Jones fight. It's when you are making guaranteed revenue, it totally changes the equation. Like the time for this was years and years ago that you, and there will be, there will be an endless supply of talent that would be more than willing to jump in. If anyone uh, was not willing to go along. And because of that, you're not going to have talent that are going to put their neck out and and not be backed by numbers it's because you know the 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 the, um perhaps um talent pay is so low that it that's what makes partially this country so sorry this this company so attractive for a potential buyer to take on um you know our our the public investment fund we're just gonna buy america we just want the (laughs) whole thing um hey man (laughs) like uh, anyway, but you know, like getting back to this Dax Harwood FTR situation, <laughs> as much as I think that we love them as, as they can have like 10 star matches with the Briscoes, they're ultimately just going to be able to command as much as market value is for them. You know, whether or not WWE makes, you know, $10 billion, like it, it depends on, you know, what the competition is willing to pay them. And that's kind of the ceiling, isn't it, John? You know, it's not like WWF needs. So I'm, I'm, I'm going back to 1992 with our review. It's not like WWE needs FTR. You know, they'd be, they'd be great to have. They'd be great to, you know, stick it to the competition, but they're not going to break their bank and break, break their pay structure to get them. Yeah. And it's a really tough time to become a free agent because you can be hearing all the reassurances that, Hey, Vince is back, but this is, this, this is not changing. This is a different company. You can come back. Guess what? Stuff can change on a dime, as we have seen at the highest levels of WWE. And if you're looking for signing a contract and stability, I mean, who knows who is going to be making those decisions in six months? And if I sign a five-year deal, um, am I going to see the end of that five years? It's you know, These are all questions you have to weigh. And you can... like. A Paul Levesque could be completely honest stating, Hey, there are no changes that are happening. And that could be proven to be different in two months time. Like you cannot guarantee massive shakeups and you would be naive to assume that. Something I, I would be curious about, you know, in FTR's case, and maybe they do have justification for this is do they entertain, you know, trying to negotiate some sort of no cut clause that we know Vince has not been a fan of in the past, but you know, c- considering history, is that a point of leverage that they might have to be able to demand? 
it's it's always I, I can tell you this, like having like having to go through my own negotiations in my history. Look, you're never going to get what you don't ask for. That's a that's a hundred percent. You're never if you just sit back and hope for that raise or hope for that perk in your contract, they are never gonna volunteer anything for you. And sometimes it's a game where you have to push and find out how much leverage do I have? And you absolutely asked for it. The worst they can do is say absolutely not, and they say, Well, you know what? That how bad do you want me? Because I do have another option and I'm very happy where I'm at. So um, anyway, w- w- several free agents will be very intriguing to watch over this next year. Uh, New Japan cards coming up. We're not going to go through all of them, but they have the new beginning lineup. So February 4th and 5th in Sapporo. The first night will have Naito against Shota Umino. Very, very important match for Shota Umino. Will Ospreay against Taichi and TJP and, and uh, Francesco Akira defending the junior heavyweight tag titles against Doki and Yoshinobu Kanemaru. The next night is Hiromu Takahashi and Yo that I'm very much looking forward to for the junior heavyweight title. Zack Sabre Jr. against Ishii for the world television title. So 15 minutes of that, but should be great. And then Goto and Yoshihashi defending the tag titles against TMDK. The big one is February the 11th in Osaka, or as Shingo Takagi calls it, February 1st, as it will be Kazuchika Okada and Takagi for the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship. Tama Tonga against El Fantasmo for the Never Openweight Championship. Kenta and Tanahashi. And the match that I think will have the most focus on that show, Jay White against Hikuleo, loser leaves Japan match. And this comes after Fightful has reported that Jay White's contract is up soon and sources expect that he is leaving for the U.S. I believe they've also reported that there's WWE interest in Hikuleo. Yeah, which I do not know his contract status, but when this... Uh, challenge was issued and I, I spoke with WH like both of these to me were people that would be on uh, WWE's radar and I'm I am certain that AEW would be very interested uh, too especially in a Jay White I I think Hikuleo. yeah to Hikuleo I I if I was Hikuleo I would not be opposed to going to NXT and and coming up through that system there mm. are some great talents in NXT and some Big talents coming in as well, like your Dragon Lees, uh, the reporters out about Carl Fredericks. Um, I would not go to AEW if I was Hikuleo, and I would have a lot of reservations about going to AEW if I was Jay White. Like, I think WWE uh, could make a whole lot of sense for Jay White, but we just outlined uh, trepidations that are going to come with WWE and totally not knowing w- what is what is going to be going on with this company. Mm-hmm. Very different from a month ago. Yeah, but the booking of this match, I think, is 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 very you know interesting. Um, I, I mean, do you discount that a double pin. there might a double pin, <laughs> perhaps, John? But do you discount the idea that somebody out there might be they might be playing the media with some of this information? Um, I don't believe so. Okay, so I mean, I'm I'm certainly curious. You know, it's a uh, uh, a lot more than I would be uh, otherwise if um. If this this match were to take place without that stipulation and without some of these stories that are out there, so we'll see. Uh, last uh, couple of things here: Raw on Monday did one million six hundred ninety three thousand viewers and a point five in the, in the demo. Um, so uh, we we've gotten these delays this week with Showbuzz Daily, so they haven't been putting out their their chart, and hopefully that gets updated. But uh, Brandon Thurston coming to everyone's rescue, having a, a breakdown of the show. So they, they actually did like a really good number on Monday. Uh, like overall viewers was, was nothing crazy, but 
1849 and 18 to 34, it was their highest numbers since that season premiere on October 10th that had DX at the Barclay Center and was a big, big show. Uh, 35 to 49, it was their highest since October 17th. And, you know, on one hand, you can look at the fact that, well, Monday, there was no Monday night football, but you did have the college football championship. And the benefit of going against that is that, that, that game was a complete blowout. Um, but it was still like, and we, we, I haven't seen the, uh, the college number that they did, but it's not nothing that you're going against. Like that game always does big. And I would suspect even with a blowout, that's a sizable audience. And dude, there was nothing going into this raw. It was Alexa Bliss explains her actions and what is next for Austin Theory. So the fact that they did so well, especially among younger viewers was somewhat astounding to me. So yeah, I don't know what you chalk that up to. Alexa Bliss, obviously, Uncle Howdy. Like they, you cannot, you cannot discredit the the interest here. And then uh, uh, the New Year's Evil special did seven hundred thousand viewers, a point one five, um, up seven percent in viewers from last week, down a percentage in eighteen to forty nine. Uh, there's a rumor that we're going to review Dynamite, and I promise we will after uh, just going through this hard to kill lineup for Friday, which. On paper, this looks like a very good show from Impact. It is headlined by Josh Alexander and Bully Ray in a full metal mayhem match for the Impact Championship. Jordan Grace against Mickey James. This is title versus career. This is the end of the last rodeo. She either wins the title or Mickey James is retired. Uh, Eddie Edwards against Jonathan Gresham, a four way for the tag titles with Heath and Rhino defending against Brian Myers and Matt Cardona, the Motor City Machine Guns and Ace Austin and Chris Bay. Uh, Trey Miguel against Black Taurus for the X Division title. That should be terrific. Masha Slamovich, Deanna Perrazzo, Killer Kelly and Taylor Wilde in a number one contenders match. Joe Hendry against Moose for the digital media title. Uh, Steve Macklin against Rich Swan in a Falls Count Anywhere in Atlanta match. And then the pre-show has Alan Angels, Kushida, Yuya Uemura, Mike Jackson, Speedball Mike Bailey, and Bupindu, Bupinder Gujar in a six-way match. So just to see uh, Mike Jackson um, at, I don't know how old he is, over 70, uh, in a ring with Speedball Mike Bailey uh, is going to be something else. And then the Death Dolls against Giselle Shaw, Savannah Evans, and Tasha Steeles. So I don't know how many people are going to be buying this show, but it's it's been a very good buildup, especially the top two matches with Alexander and Bully Ray. And the last rodeo, I, I think, has been built up really well. They had this awesome video package on Mickey James last week going over her whole career. And it's it looks like a very good pay-per-view on Friday. I'm looking forward to this show. So that will be up for Cafe members. And we now move to Dynamite. Did you see the show tonight? Yeah, I think so. Okay. You and uh, 8,600 people or so at the Kia Forum. Once again, a awesome crowd for two hours. Just tre- tremendous. Stay on the West Coast, AEW. I mean, as much as it sucks for uh, us, why not? I mean, for us, it doesn't really matter. It's uh, Well, I mean, that means they, they, can't, they can't come to Toronto. It's okay. I kind of like just watching at home. It's fine. So we start off with John Moxley and Hangman Page. And dude, when they start going at it, this crowd just roars. And Moxley takes over and he's just beating the hell out of Hangman Page. And we see Hangman get a reprieve with a lariat and fallaway slam. And they're really building up how these guys, they're going for headshots at one another. And how is Page going to withstand uh, coming off the concussion? So there is a German with Page landing on his uh, feet, discus lariat, and then Orihara moonsault to the floor. 
And Moxley ducks the buckshot, hits the Death Rider for a two count, and then goes to the Bulldog. And the Deadeye gets stopped. Page is locked in the rear naked choke, but he counters out of it, hits the Deadeye. But Moxley is up stomping Page. Both men are down, and they have one big striking exchange towards the end. Lariat by Page, and then he hits the Buckshot Lariat. The whole place explodes, and we get an exceptionally rare clean loss by John Moxley as Hangman wins in 14 minutes and 13 seconds. Excellent match. Really, really excellent. You know, great atmosphere. And obviously these promos that these two cut with each other ahead of time, I think really intensified the whole, you know, rivalry to the point where justifiably they were um, immediately, you know, coming to blows uh, at, at the start of, uh, you know, upon seeing each other in the arena. Um, I thought it was a tremendous match. You know, Mox is almost like primal yet kind of technical, you know, style. He was dominating Hangman the whole match, which allowed Hangman to showcase a lot of fire before that excellent comeback victory. My one criticism of the match was the skull on skull headbutts, which I'm never a fan of, especially coming from a, a match with a guy who is just legit had a concussion from a legit concussion and concussion seeming like, you know, a big theme of, of, of this particular show. But I mean, I know of course you want to target the head for this particular story. I do feel like there are ways that you could safely tell that story without actually directly headbutting each other. And I, I wasn't in the ring. I'm not either of these guys. Maybe they're, they're magicians that can somehow make this look beautifully safe. Um, but I just, I, I, I'm kind of doubtful just kind of having, you know, uh, just knowing a bit, bit about, the human body, how, how that could, you know, be as safe as, as may, as it maybe should. Yeah. And then afterwards, I mean, they're doing the concussion deal with John Moxley. He, I mean, this guy, I think this greatly benefits by this guy being a huge, you know, fight fan that knows what, it, how a guy looks after a brutal knockout and how he doesn't know where he is. I mean, he sold this really, really well with Doc Sampson coming in and Moxley just looks all discombobulated and Paige walks out uh, looking conflicted, knowing, like, I, I really like this aspect with Hangman, how he conveyed the fact that, you know, this is this is his comeuppance. Like, John Moxley had no mercy for me. At the same time, here's a, a fellow father and... I know what I went through and now I have administered this onto him. And it Mm -hmm. was like, this guy was, you know, he was conflicted. Like he, he did everything Moxley invited him to. And this guy had no mercy for me. And yet I do feel conflicted by what I have now done for him and his road to recovery. He's a good guy. You know, that hangman. I, I, I think this is a, a baby face, baby face versus baby face feud that was done absolutely well. You know, they build, built a, a great deal of intensity. And obviously you need somebody like Mox who can really straddle that line incredibly well. Um, but you know, in, 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 in their doing, in their building of this feud, I mean, they've just made headman page that much more of a bigger baby face for the first time in a long time. It feels like he's in focus in the main event scene. So curious to see uh, how they play off of this. I hope this means Mox can finally go fishing. Um, and this we- should, they should and do the rematch at the pay-per-view. Give them, give them two months off. Exactly. So yeah, uh, one and one, and then uh, we'll build to the third. And we come back and Excalibur and Taz looking very serious on camera state that Moxley was helped to the back. They never said the word concussion, but they were, you know, dancing around like seems like uh, they really don't want to say the word concussion. Yeah, it does seem like a word that is head injury that that both companies don't like to to use. 
I think I think it does. I, I and I don't even think it's a it's a paranoia. I think like your audience, I think is kind of uneasy about concussions but it's like you're doing the story so at this point people know what you're dancing head injury is not that much better yeah um shivani is in the ring and this was great because before the break they were like later on we are going to be hearing from mjf so in the ring there's tony shivani and i'm literally typing shivani brings out mjf and then we've got adam cole's music hitting and adam cole comes out uh were you aware of this that he was going to come back that uh, like, had you, had you seen anything about him coming back? Not personally? No. Yeah. So I, I don't know how well of a surprise this was. Cause I think most were surprised by, we're also caught up with a you know, Mercedes watch that um, I didn't personally think about Adam Cole. So he comes out to an enormous reaction. Mm-hmm. Um, th- this was just another level. He comes in and it's just a love fest here from Inglewood. And he says he has good news. And bad news. The good news is he has a new appreciation for pro wrestling and for his life. This is all he wanted to do since he was nine years old. Calls AEW the best pro wrestling company in the world. And he had to get healed up. He had a torn up shoulder and back-to-back head injuries that caused headaches and dizzy spells, which I think is only doubling down way on your uh, uh, critique of the, of the first match. And he would vomit if he was in a, a moving car for longer than 15 minutes. And then he would even have trouble sleeping where he'd get up at three, four in the morning with anxiety and he'd be pacing back and forth. And then Britt would wake up and he would start crying, stating what's happening to me. And he said that in pro wrestling, it's a give and take industry. We give you everything you have and you appreciate it. And I gave you nothing for the last six months and you still supported me. And for that, I'm eternally grateful. And now on to the bad news. And dude, this guy is just looking down. And I'm sure this man has seen many a bad news speech that some of these wrestlers have delivered. And then he says, the bad news is not for me. It's for the AEW locker room because Adam Cole is back. I'm not done yet. I'm one of the best wrestlers. And I have been for 15 years. And nothing will stop me from being the very best because I haven't even scratched the surface yet of what I'm capable of today is the day the new Adam Cole is born. I thought this segment was among the best segments dynamite has had. I mean, this was just such a feel good moment. I thought this was Adam Cole's a great promo. This was a phenomenal promo from Adam Cole. Like this was, I thought he was just incredible here. It was a main event level promo. It was a, it was a, a world champion level promo um and maybe even beyond that you know he's coming back at now as a full-on baby face uh there's no more undisputed elite um and i thought it was absolutely the i think the right time to do it coming off of a real injury you have a lot of sympathy from people who uh you don't know that this man has suffered a whole lot over the past year um and hasn't seen him for a long long time so he comes in with a big surprise pop and man you get to hear him speak and you just kind of uh, realize how much we've missed that voice. I love the little good news, bad news swerve in there. And uh, I thought overall it was incredibly effective as like, you know, a real kickstart to his baby face run. It felt like, especially for the AEW run, that this crowd, they they liked him. Even as a heel, they liked him. This This promo and this realness that everyone knows is legit, it gave the audience a reason to love this guy. And his promo just invited that from the people. And it's like you felt like this is a guy that 
could be a top babyface. Felt like it after this segment. Completely. Yes. The acclaimed are in the back with Billy Gunn. They're in Hollywood this week, and they mentioned that they're in the city with the biggest names in show business, mentioning Roseanne Barr, Alec Baldwin, Donald Trump, and Johnny Depp. And they're going to receive their stars on the Hollywood Walk of Fame this Friday. Uh, evidently, they've been doing some shooting out there for their next rap video, perhaps. I guess so. So, so maybe yeah. we're going to get uh, Max Caster's assessment of the week that was in pro wrestling. Yeah, here's Max Caster with a photo um, giving the finger to the Vince McMahon star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. So, I mean, this seems to promise maybe another uh, either a vignette or more likely a rap video. Yes, yes, a Vince yet. Uh, yes, yes. It's late. Big Bill and Lee Moriarty against Jungle Hook. Uh, Shivani at first defends lacrosse players as being legitimate athletes. And so one of the highlights here was Big Bill mocking the crowd by waving his arms like they do for Jungle Boy. Uh, man looked ridiculous here. Uh, we also spotted uh, Ken Jong in the front row during the picture in picture, which uh, would he would later have a more uh, a more pronounced role on the show. All of this built up to a face off between Hook and Big Bill because this crowd just wanted to see Hook lift this large man. So the crowd gets excited as Hook goes to lift him, but he can't do it. So then Jungle Boy comes off the top with an Otani style missile drop kick to the back of Big Bill's head. Oh my God. And the drop kick sends Big Bill into a suplex by hook, and this crowd explodes for the suplex. There's a schoolboy by Jack Perry onto Lee Moriarty, kick out, and then it caught in the snare trap, and Lee taps out in seven minutes and 43 seconds. Good match. You know, I I mean, I know that they said this was like a one night only for Jungle Hook, but come on, you can't. You have something here with these two. I think this is a logical move forward for Hook, and yeah. it's something for Jack Perry because they're just like holding this guy over until Christian's ready, and that's months. I think, you know, both of them are set on their sort of singles paths, but I, I think you have special attractions where Jungle Hook reunites, and maybe that's that's the thinking with them billing this as a one night only thing. Um but, you know, these two together, I think they're so marketable to kids and to adults. You know, you have like two very young, good looking, you know, guys that I, I'm sure for years you could build some sort of relationship and ultimately a rivalry around. Um, and in ring, I think they're both so tremendous and they, they match up styles incredibly well with one guy being more of a high flyer and Hook being a this technical beast so um on the other side of things i thought lee moriarty did a great job of you know doing the bulk of the work for the heels and i thought they built up to that big t-bone spot with big bill really well too so you know the firm are a fine team but like like many heels and and maybe you know mid-card tag teams in AEW, it's it's all about showcasing the the acts that you're actually pushing long term and tonight that was jungle hook renee is in the back with orange cassidy and dan Housen. And Golden Globe winner, Paul Walter Hauser, who brought his trophy in a case that he will reveal to us on Friday. Interesting. Okay. So the man did actually legit win a Golden Globe. Yeah, on Tuesday yesterday. night. This was a nice get for them. So he's not revealing the content of this box. Is, is there going to be something else in this box? Maybe. Yeah. Maybe he's going to have um, a contract. Oh, okay. Maybe. Maybe it's the King of Pro Wrestling trophy. 
We'll have to tune in so, Friday, the contents of the box. And then the best friends showed up, and we have some some division here among the uh, the best friends and whether they're all good after their infighting recently and Trent losing to Orange Cassidy. Well, you had Orange Cassidy saying, oh, yeah, yeah, we're good. And then they just kind of walked behind them. Um, so I don't know if – because, like, you never know with – like the lackadaisical sort of like, I don't know, personalities of both the best friends in Orange Cassidy, whether or not this is actually them making up or if there's still tension being te- teased. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I guess it's uh, it's in the eye of the beholder of wh- where they stand. Uh, Renee notes that this is the the first time a game seven has taken place in this arena since 1988 between the Lakers and the Pistons. Sure. I wonder if they'll, they'll get a plaque in the forum that gives this distinction. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Kanosuke Takeshita is out, uh, one of the stars of Bolo over the weekend. And before Brian Danielson comes out for the match, MJF makes his way to the ring and he introduces himself to Takeshita by stating Konichiwa. Of course. I'm wondering yeah. if MJF was a big Rick the Model Martel fan during the Tatanka program. I'm sure he watched plenty of uh, early 90s, late 80s. Professional wrestling. Yes. Rick Martel had his reservations about uh, that program. So he hears that uh, Takeshita is a big deal on Twitter and Reddit. I'll be honest. I haven't seen any of your stuff. So your name, take a shit. uh, He tells him, don't take one in your pants tonight. And then Takeshita responds in Japanese and MJF informs him, we speak American around here. So Takeshita translates, kiss my ass. And if there's one thing an American crowd loves, it's a foreigner swearing. Yeah, he could have thrown a bitch in there. You know, I'm sure would have uh, made the segment that much more. Um, but uh, no, it's, you know, Takeshita is getting more screen time. But like with a lot of um, wrestlers that they have, I mean, AEW, you know, struggles. And I think they would admit this of, of you know, pushing their non-native English speaking talents um in ways that they uh, can push all their uh, other main event talents. And I, sometimes you, you got to use a shortcut, like, you know, throwing a quick, simple line, but I thought it was delivered quite well here from Takeshita. I mean, the crowd was, they love Takeshita mm-hmm. on this show. MJF then takes over. He kind of like just dismisses Takeshita and says, people think that I can't last an hour. Well, ask your mother, sister, or girlfriend, how long I can last. I'm the real Iron Man of pro wrestling. I'm all about pinning shoulders on mats and banging rats. All of you fans are irrelevant, just like Brian Danielson. And then he spots Ken Jong in the front row, mentioning that you were in the hangover 20 years ago, and then mentions how Dr. Ken got canceled. Then he spots Freddie Prince Jr., who he wishes would be canceled. He brings up, do you guys remember She's All That? I don't. Because I was born in 1996, and I'm not a dinosaur. <laughs> For some reason, I just love just how simple this, this joke was. I don't remember this movie because I'm not old. <laughs> yeah, he can probably tell you everything about, you know, like the uh, like Roddy Piper from like 1982 or something. And says that he remembers Freddie Prince Jr. playing a supporting role to a CGI dog. And which was very funny because Scooby-Doo came out like four years after she's all that. It's not, maybe not even maybe three years. It was like, that's a pretty old movie in and of itself. Scooby-Doo. Right. Yeah. But I mean, it was geared towards kids. She's all that was more teen 
I guess so, yes. Um, and calls him a Scooby Dooby douchebag. Says, Your heroes suck. Danielson won't have the Iron Man match with me because he's not going to win all these matches. And then Danielson sprints down the apron and dude, MJF just hightails it, runs for cover to the back. Just uh, tremendous, tremendous how at the end of it, he's just a coward here for uh, Danielson. But I really like the idea of incorporating, you know, these these people at ringside for something different than just, hey, look who's here. It's just like the the glamour yeah. shot of look who's here. Instead, they made him they made them like the punchline for MJF. I liked it a lot. In general, I think AEW has you know done really well with its celebrity integrations. You know, they never just feel like they're they're there to I don't know show their face to promote something nor is it uh, insignificant like you know showing them in uh, like they're 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 usually involved in some creative way whether in ring or out of ring um but in this case i thought listen it's mjf roasting uh, a few hollywood celebrities and the rest of hollywood i i thought it was a, a wonderful little segment here and uh nice of la to really play along and boo mjf throughout all of this because I mean, in a lot of other towns, I don't necessarily know if Freddie Prince Jr. or Ken Jong are going to get, you know, uh, that much sympathy from uh, heel making fun of them. But man, uh, AEW like crowds kind of know what's up, and and the MJF was so great here. I thought. I just want one segment together this year of MJF and Rick Ross. Um, you know, Swerve versus MJF is a match that could happen, so maybe that that'll happen. So Danielson is out and we go into our match with Takeshita and it picks up after uh, a label lock attempt early and Takeshita stops a Busaiku knee with a blue thunder bomb. And that's our first near fall. And this was very interesting because everything about this story is if Danielson loses, you don't get this big match. You don't get Danielson challenging for the title. And yet this crowd, they all wanted Takeshita to win. And it was evident early in the match, and then it just grew and grew. And it wasn't even a case of them booing Danielson. It's just they loved Takeshita, and they they wanted the, the, the win in this building and this moment more than they wanted Danielson to get this title match uh, two months away. Perhaps, John. I, I would, I would maybe contend, like you know, the average AEW fan probably is aware of enough that you're, we're going to get Brian Danielson versus MJF no matter what, and maybe they, do, they were just, you know, uh, they were wanting to see a big spotlight on Kanosuke Takeshita on Dynamite. Well, after after hearing all these arguments about, oh, this best of seven series, it's so predictable. I mean, this was the most predictable outcome mm-hmm. uh, of any match. And it, yep. it, did that affect anyone one iota? No, not at all. So they did have one one big slip up here. So Danielson sends Takeshita to the floor and he leaps off the apron. And it looked like he was to land on the shoulders of Takeshita and just slides off and just crashes into the barricade for this ugly spill. And then Takeshi just picks him up for a brain buster uh, to get things back on track. That was, uh, <laughs> well, like I saw the spot and I mean, you know, maybe again, theme of the night is, is head injury. And, and my first thought was like, man, I, I Brian looked like he lend, landed pretty he went high right into the that. guardrail, like at a, yeah. and not, ex- and it's also when, when you're not expecting to be going into somewhere, it's like, mm-hmm. you, you don't have your time to, to brace for it either. So yeah, so, that, so that, that was concerning. My, so that was my first instinct. And then like, he starts holding his knee. So I'm like, okay, well, I mean, at least it's the knee. And then Takeshita just like hits him with the brain buster on the brain floor. Right? So, on the floor. Yeah, clearly uh, he was okay. 
So Takeshita then lands a, a swanton onto the knees and the label lock is applied and he's trying to hyperextend the arm, but Takeshita gets to the rope. Crowd is going nuts for Takeshita here. Big forearm exchanges. Takeshita blocks a victory roll and hits like the bastard driver, but holds on to the legs, deadlifts him up into a bridging German. This was exquisite. I'm mm-hmm. going to throw out that word. Uh, and holds on to the grip for another suplex, but this time Danielson rotates, landing on his feet. They were just rolling at this point. Danielson ducks, hits the Busaiku, and when Takeshita kicks out, this crowd went nuts. The crowd's applauding. They're on their feet. Danielson stomps and finally applies the unnamed stretch, and Aubrey calls it off at 14 minutes and 46 seconds, uh, and the two shake hands afterwards. Um I know a lot of people, they're just jonesing and like Takeshita, he can't keep losing and losing. Dude, when he wins, it's going to be a monumental moment. And I thought this match was just another terrific, terrific uh, showcase for him. And this crowd, man, they made him feel like a superstar. Mm -hmm. Like, I would say, you know, like Dante Martin, I think, is often in this role of a guy who you could just kind of depend on to have a great match. Um, But Takeshita, I think, even more so, you know, simply like seeing his name on a graphic attached to anybody that somebody would consider to be a great wrestler, Um, you know, be Mox, Danielson, Claudio, like it's already, you know, a must see event. He's, I think, a rare type of character that with zero build, um, you might make a uh, time uh, on a Friday evening to catch a rampage to see his particular match. Um, they have something incredible with him. And I, I thought this match anytime, you know, he's been given any sort of airtime. He steals the show. Um, hard hitting, perfect technique, unbelievable baby face fire. Obviously the only thing that is missing is some element of storytelling with him. They've been doing a lot of build with Don Callis attached to, to, to Takeshita. I thought tonight would sort of be the night that they would debut that on dynamite, but nothing so far. And you know what? Maybe, maybe it's, it's more of a long-term thing, but um, and nothing, nothing from Bola where Callis was there and like scouting Takeshita and they were reportedly like filming there. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I thought maybe we'd see something like that. And and maybe we will, like Don Callis. Like, to me, this is, you know, Takeshita loses and loses. And then finally, you know, Don Callis is, you know, he, it gives a reason for Takeshita to go under this guy's wing and where that all leads to. Totally, yeah. But, you know, considering the MJF interaction earlier, that's a match I really want to see down the line in the future. You know, um, even maybe a part of as part of this run, I don't think Takeshita needs to win the championship, but man, I think the heat in the building, like if you put that on Battle of the Belts, I think that would be a wonderful use of Battle of the Belts. I think it's too big for Battle of the Belts. I think that's yeah, the problem with Battle of the Belts. Like there, there's a limit to what they're going to put on those shows. Mm-hmm. Renee is with Juice Robinson, who is not here to twiddle his thumbs. He's here to kick ass and he wants Darby on Rampage. And that is for the TNT title Friday. Jamie Hayter and Britt Baker against Soraya and Tony Storm, who is, in fact, the partner. And uh, to their credit, like, this was not a crowd that they were, like, starting to chant or anything like that. It was, you know, they accepted this was the partner. And I think they were resigned to the fact that uh, Mercedes was not coming in. There, I I don't think there there was much that AEW could have done for this crowd to turn on the show. Um, this probably was going to be like the biggest test and they were, you know, they would have turned if this was a mystery partner revealed as anyone but Mercedes. Like, I think you would have had booze if 
whoever was the the unfortunate mystery partner not named Mercedes. I, I, you might be right. I mean, I would, I would say that, that you know, maybe that most you would have gotten uh, silence. Apathy. Yeah, yeah, apathy. Like this is a crowd that really wanted to be at AEW, and I think especially coming off of this week, wants AEW to succeed. So I, I mean, to me, it was kind of clear. Even with something like this, they weren't going to turn on the show, uh, much less even chant for Mercedes, which you got, which you didn't get any of. But it obviously helped that you know this was a very good match. Yeah, it it, it was. In fact. Um... We had uh, Soraya and Storm uh, being sent into the rails, and then Hikaru Shida walks down with a kendo stick, and she's uh, standing there at ringside. Uh, Soraya hits the nightcap and then stops an air raid crash, landing Anita Baker in the face, and then we see Storm with the hip attack, tornado DDT onto Baker, and Baker manages to hit an air raid crash to Storm off the turnbuckle. Hatebreaker is delivered to Storm when Soraya is in to save. And then we see Storm with Storm Zero. This time, Baker is the one to save Hater. And then Rebel is on the apron, distracting the referee as Sheeta slides in the kendo stick. And it's in the middle of Baker and Storm. And Baker grabs the kendo stick and nails Storm with it, followed by Hater Aid. And Hater pins Storm in 11 minutes and 21 seconds. And you have Sheeta selling that that was not her plan. She was trying to help the baby faces. And I guess you are left to believe, was she, in fact, trying to help the baby faces? Or was this her revenge for being snubbed in this match and mm-hmm. that she should have been the partner? Mm-hmm. We'll talk about Mercedes afterwards. But, I mean, first of the match, I, I thought it was a really good match. You know, Tony, Tony Storm in particular, I thought looked really tremendous here. Um just as hard hitting, you know, like, I mean, a lot of people I think are probably, you know, rightfully talking about Jamie Hayter as like being the hardest hitter, but Tony Storm, I think is right up there with her. Um, there were moments in this where I wondered if they were setting up a double turn, you know, because uh, commentary and of course, Britt's promo last week was really setting up the outsiders versus like AEW originals type of angle. And there were moments in this match where because, you know, of that story and also because of Hater being so beloved by this audience, Tony Storm would cut her off and this crowd would start booing Tony Storm. So it's a direction that like I could see them eventually going to, but this didn't seem to be the case by the end because it was pretty clear that like Sheeta was the focus at the end of all of this. Um, they're dragging out this turn. If it is a turn a little bit later, but is she going to be, be the baby face or are um, Tony Storm or, or Soraya going to be the heels? Um, Soraya, I thought looked pretty good, you know, second match back um, in a much more limited spot, but I thought her confidence already improved, but obviously the big discussion coming off of this is the lack of Mercedes Bonet. Yeah. I mean, it's, Certainly, I would say, like, if you didn't have that all sealed, I, I don't know why you include that line last week. I think that, like, that was the only instance where it, a savvy audience that this this crowd is is going to read into and make that assumption. But this was not a crowd, though, that felt to me as though, like, they had bought their tickets with the expectation of her coming in, which I think would be a stretch for you to make that. There that was assumption. some of that. But, I mean, this card was so strong that I don't think they minded, especially after like, you know, a ladder match like that. Yeah. I I certainly would have kept the line out last week if I wasn't delivering that. I just like, what value is that? If one person tunes in next week saying, wow, that must mean like, and we do have a precedent of, you know, subtle lines that they deliver on. So Mm -hmm. if you're like, why disappoint your crowd when the option is not disappointing your audience? We got a p- couple people in the chat room saying that they there were boos at the end of the match. Like, I guess once they cut to, to a commercial and realized that the segment was over and Mercedes wasn't going to come out. Um, 
maybe strategic that you know they they decide to go to break maybe uh quickly after that i don't know but um yeah didn't happen tonight doesn't mean it won't happen in the future but you know tonight i i i don't blame them for not having her show up but i do blame them for having that line last week yeah i think that's the only like beyond that you can't accuse them of misleading you but that line it was misleading last week and people jumped on it right away and it's just that was a pre-tape it's not like it was a live promo in the ring that you know she she threw out a line that you couldn't take back it was a pre-tape do you have an opinion on how much talk of mercedes was originally scheduled to be a part of this entire angle when soraya set up the mystery partner I, I cannot imagine you're doing a mystery partner angle knowing that it's going to be Tony Storm in the end. Same. At, yeah. In this venue and almost a month ago that they set that up. So mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know how you could imagine that, that this was how it was going to end up. Rampage on Friday. We have the street fight with Ruby Soho and Willow Nightingale against Ty Mello and Anna Jay. Eddie Kingston and Ortiz, who did a promo. Uh, pretty much Kingston is tired of Ortiz doubting him and questioning him. And they're not on the same page going into this match with Malachi Black and Brody King. Darby and Juice Robinson for the TNT title. The Acclaimed and Paul Walter Hauser. I don't even know what that dude was in. Like, I've never heard of that guy before. Uh, he was he was in Cobra Kai, I think. Oh, uh, Okay. Yeah, he's been in a bunch of stuff. Yeah, beyond beyond that. Okay. And then Dynamite in Fresno next week has Ricky Starks against Jake Hager, which they announced before this next segment, and Brian Danielson against Bandito. Yeah, yeah. I mean, MJF is uh, definitely on the internet uh, looking up, um, you know, who the fu- <laughs> who the most in demand opponents are for uh, Brian Danielson. He's, he's I thought maybe they, he'd try and get a date on Vikingo, but maybe they wouldn't be allowed to uh, to air it on television if uh, AAA. Uh, so, Maybe we'll pick Zack Sabre Jr. next. You know, just go through all the the dream matches. Oh, imagine, imagine MJF and Zack doing a, a yeah political debate. Yeah, or do, doing uh doing another uh song and dance together like Jericho and MJF did. Maybe Zack and MJF could uh do the dinner debonair part two, a, a, a vegan version. Maybe it would be wonderful. Jericho Appreciation Society are out. Parker calls them the saints of Los Angeles and Jericho calls this one of the biggest weeks ever for the group. We invaded Bola with the surprise appearance heard around the world. And, uh, uh, I, I heard from, from people, uh, like, or at least from one person there that like they, uh, everyone involved, they, they went to some great lengths to keep this a surprise. And it seemed like it was a surprise to pretty much almost, almost everyone. So they did a pretty great job uh, with this. Well, like, yeah, I imagine it'd be pretty hard to like hide I don't know how many people are in this thing. Eight people, nine people, you know, sneaking. I don't know when they showed up at the building, if it was like right towards the end, but it was like they like the people there, like organizing the show, like they they went to some significant lengths to try and keep this uh, uh, under wraps. And, Hmm. you know, it seemed like it was a legit uh, surprise for a lot of people as well. So uh, good for them that they could pull this off. Um, Puts over the street fight and that the Ricky starts experiment is over. And, Starks then comes out to interrupt them alongside Action and Dreddy and says that they couldn't get the job done last week. I'm still standing tall. And Jericho calls Andretti Oliver Twist, the orphan. And Andretti asks if Daniel Garcia is allowed to speak by his babysitter, Sammy Guevara, who can't even control his own wife and where her hands go. Because last week, her hands were between my legs. 
So, and that was referencing the low blow. I'm assuming, right? Yeah. Was there a low that, blow? There was a low blow. Okay. Because uh, it would be I, a really weird line if um, there wasn't. I was trying to remember what it is, and that there was the low blow. I assume was what he was referring to. So, okay. yeah, he, he he got her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Garcia then says th- this line might have been lost in it. He's like, I remember when I was young and naive a pro wrestler like you, but now I'm a sports entertainer and I just love Garcia. But I remember when I was young, yeah. Uh, Starks who is approaching like the, the territory where he can get away with lines that no one else could calling them count succula and jazz hole one and jazz hole two makes fun of Jake Hager's lisp. And then issues a challenge. I want to face you, Jake Hager next week. And Excalibur, he, he presented this earlier to Tony Khan. Tony Khan's already approved this match that we just announced. Yeah, a bit of miscommunication like, there. So Hager, he talks about how he loves this hat. He wears many hats, including one as undefeated MMA fighter. He's twice the size of Starks, and he will face him next week. And Starks says someone, he, he is someone that is absolute. And I'm looking at the clock. It was like, dude, this ladder match, I am sure everyone in this main event is waiting for this thing to wrap up. And Mm. the payoff, like this segment builds to the announcement of a match that they announced in the previous segment. It's like, how does this happen? Yeah, I mean, you know, it could be that like something was reshuffled in the rundown last minute that pushed this later on in the show, or maybe it was just poor communication, but that probably shouldn't have happened. It, it's usually um, like they do the rundown before the main event, but we had mm-hmm. this segment sandwiched between, and maybe there was just a miscommunication that the rundown was supposed to be after this segment. Yeah. I don't know, but it was like, man, we spent like almost 10 minutes here. <laughs> building to a match like the whole build-up to this was like announcing a match well i mean you you ultimately still want to see a bit of the personality of everybody involved um yeah um it was it was fine you know honestly like um i i don't know if it needed to go quite this long to you know get to the point um starts as usual i think man his confidence just seems to grow um by by the week he seems like he's just so quick and really would be able to kind of field any sort of comeback from a, a a heel um to me the standout though was hager um he really has quickly becoming a, a fan favorite with his hat thing and i don't know if he meant to say i'm gonna slap your face off your face but oh it was perfect i mean I, it, it's a maybe perfect he was, line maybe he was saving that line for next week's uh, tie-in for immediately following <laughs> Could be. That's it. Yeah. Uh, it was a perfect line from him. And the, the reaction of bewilderment from Ricky Starks was just as great. So, uh, action and ready. I, I mean, he, he sounds good. I didn't per- per- particularly like, um, some of the lines tonight, but you know, they, they're a package that I think is working right now. Yeah. It was, um, it, it was an attempt at it. It's, you know, it's just going for the cheap stuff with, with, with Ty Conti, mm-hmm. which I, I just think it's, it's like low hanging fruit, but they're, they're giving this guy low hanging fruit to generate these reactions. Uh, Death Triangle and the Elite. It is Escalera de la Muerte, match number seven. And that, that was more my criticism of the last segment is that, dude, the, the bell rings and it is 945. And mm-hmm. it just felt as though I, I, like everything's been built towards this. I would have hoped like they, it did feel like the first couple of minutes here, like they were just racing here. But I mean, th- this is also the still, style. It is also the the style as well. But I mean, mm-hmm. I, I would have to imagine this was allotted a bit more time than starting at 945. But uh, how about 
Matt and Nick Jackson sporting the Shaq Gnosis Reeboks. Did you see these? I did not notice the uh, Shaq Gnosis Reeboks. No. So when I was uh, like 11 years old, um, we went and we were able to get new shoes. Okay. And my brother bought the Shaq Gnosis ones. Um, and I couldn't pick the same ones as my brother. I had to get something else. So I was like, you know what I'm going to get? I'm going to get the Sean Kemp shoes. And let's just say that um, I think my brother won. I think you you would much rather attach yourself to Shaquille O'Neal than Sean Kemp. What did the Sean Kemp ones look like? I'm look curious. up like Sean Kemp 1996 Reeboks. I, th- yeah, I think they'll come up. If, if, if they're the ones that uh, – I recognize I will identify as such. Uh, state. Okay. What, yeah. I, what, I, was it, was it, was it this one? These just pull it off. I can't, I can't see. Was it these? It was the ones on, on the left to the, the, to the, the left of the white ones. Got yeah. it. Okay. Those um, were the ones I had. I don't know if either of you made some great, any great choice uh, with those well, options. Well, anyway, there you go. I think these are some ugly shoes. <laughs> oh boy. Look at that. You don't like these. These are classics. Uh you should maybe stick with the flame. All the pretenders went and got the the pumps, but the Shaq Gnosis, these things were that was me. Were much cooler. You got the pumps, yeah, yeah. I, I'm just kind of jealous. My parents wouldn't buy me pumps. So Omega hits a Topicon hero early, missing pack and going through a table, which is one of those spots that you beg the question: What if you had hit this Topicon hero? There was still a table right there. I mean, this was not going to end good no matter what. So Matt then hits pack with a high cross, putting him through a table. Um, Man, dude, this was intense to try and take notes for. And that's someone that has gotten used to doing these style of matches on Dynamite. But this one was after the day you had, man. Yeah, this is this was the nice wind down. Uh, We see a top rope Rana by Phoenix that sends Matt onto a ladder that's draped from the bottom rope pack with the poison Rana onto Omega. Uh, we saw a fear factor spot onto Omega and then Phoenix dives onto Nick. The Bucks return with super kicks and Matt with the Northern Light series ending with Phoenix being dropped on the ladder. And Nick positions Penta on a table on the floor and puts him through with a 450 to the floor. Mm. Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, Matt is climbing the ladder. Phoenix holds on. And then Alex Abrahantis comes in tipping the ladder with Matt on it. And this prompts Brandon Cutler to get his big spot of the series as he comes in and puts the cold spray into Abrahantis's eyes. And that's followed with a V trigger to Abrahantis, who is gone. Pack slams the fingers of Omega with the hammer. So like this hammer was the consistency of this whole series that uh, they, they used here. And, nails him with a falcon arrow to the floor and we get this ladder contraption and you can hear the crowd at times just going like like there was genuine fear of this crowd as everyone is holding their balance on this horizontal ladder and it sees a fear factor to matt on the horizontal ladder phoenix climbs but omega comes back he hoists up phoenix on the horizontal ladder and delivers a one-winged angel off the ladder to the to the mat Pack then is on the top turnbuckle and goes to the black arrow, but lands on the knees of Omega. So everyone is down and Omega has the, it's, it's an open net. He can just go for, go for the gold <laughs> and he climbs up. And when he grabs this belt, dude, this crowd is roaring and he grabs the belt at 14 minutes and 58 seconds. And the elite that, that time is unbelievable. I mean, I know, I know they might've not started exactly at nine 45, but like, shit like oh, this was in seconds of they got the pose on the ladder and then they were off the air like they had under 60 seconds to go before uh 
the show was done. It's it's just amazing to me that like, you know, this is the type of match that probably re- requires a whole lot of pre-planning, um, a lot of maybe some rehearsal. Uh, who knows how much they might have even, you know, ha- had a chance to do. But it, it, it's not just a match you could necessarily call in the ring, you know. So like the fact that they were able to get through every single one of those very carefully planned spots, yet somehow still end on the mark of uh, of a time queue is really there, there's no excuse for anyone else on these cards going over there a lot of time if these guys are nailing it on a yeah. 15 minutes to try and deliver an all-time classic ladder match yeah this was unbelievable a uh, credit to you john for you know doing a great job of trying to recap this uh insanity they crammed it feels like an hour's worth of action inside of 15 minutes in it's a pace that you know was everything you'd want out of a trio's ladder match and that's something like you you can't think of a better pairing to establish what this trio's division really should be about like non-stop action you know just like boom 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 big spots here and there these should be spot fest obviously they're a little bit better when you take it to the next level and add a bit of story who knows if like there were supposed to be a bit more elements of that to me maybe that's what something was missing that was missing out of this that i might have wanted to see to really take it to the next level but i mean fuck for 15 minutes with this amount of like creativity and action you could not leave unsatisfied yeah do you have a favorite match of the series? I'm I'm kind of biased because I was there for the first one, John. You know, so yeah. that's still going to stand out to me the most. There, there's some candidates though, like that one two weeks ago. Um, was was outstanding. The uh, that was the Falls Count Anywhere. Um, that was probably my number two. I I still do go to the the first one. I mean, that was just unbelievable. The the first match, but man, in in a different era. I would be putting out like a DVD with the matches and I would want a commentary or something over each match. You could have Mm -hmm. an English one with the elite. You could have a Spanish option with the death triangle and pack involved too. Um, I I really hope they do something with this series that like kind of immortalizes it in company history because it's uh, like good luck ever following this best of seven series when it comes to match quality. And I hope they build this up as something historic in the company's history. I'd love to see like a documentary about this, like a 30 for 30 at some point, you know, about this and, and just talking about to tie it into the whole comeback of the elite, why they were gone and then coming back. Like that's how this started their first appearance back. Agreed. And also, you know, the PAX injury, um, Kenny Dude worked with a broken nose for Ken- six of the seven matches. Kenny having one of the best matches of all time in Japan, Right. On his, like, uh, yeah. On his us. week off. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Really? Yeah. Um, tremendous, tremendous series, unbelievable series of matches. I had no issue with like going seven, um, and getting two months uh, of these matches on, on television. No, like let, let's remember, you know, take us back, uh, what a month or two, or two, two before when they announced this. I think there was some trepidation from people wondering how they're going to stretch this thing out. Will we be, we be sick of it? I think if they decided to go an eighth, um, next week i don't think many of us would complain um, i think you you've done such an an amazing job that they if they do this in a year like maybe at um all out next year or something like when they do this again they should wait a long time but all you have to do is announce this match and it's going to be this legendary thing that you mm-hmm. have created this all-time rivalry and more importantly i think having the elite win these titles it allows them to make these main event titles like something that which was always the plan yeah. Um, Which was t- why you created a trios division in the first place. You're not yeah. doing it unless you have Kenny and the Bucks leading it. Yeah. Like, yeah. I feel these should be 
one A and one B with your AEW championship. Like these are the titles that you can are main event belts in a company that has a sea of titles, but only two titles that I think are truly at a level that you can headline and sell pay-per-views with. Um, Like you have the division that you have the guys to lead it. Now we wait to see who the challengers are, who the next serious contenders are. And what do you think, John? Yeah, I mean, you, that is one negative in in the sense that during this whole thing, you have not been building up those other trios units. Like they I exist, think, uh, like you, you have your House of Blacks, but it's yeah. it's also like getting them in place to be. Um, They're on their way, House yeah. of Black. You know, the presentation is already so main event level that like, I, I mean, that's already a pay-per-view match you could you know, promote tomorrow if you really wanted to. Elite versus House of Black. I'm trying to think like what other um, trios are. I, you know, uh, Blackpool Combat Club, of course. Eventually, whenever like they're done with sort of their individual singles challenges and Mox has caught a ton of fish. Um, so give, give, give Moxley a, a bit of a rest uh, before you put him into this. But yeah, there's there's a lot of uh, options. There's uh, a lot of money to be made, like with the Elite versus Blank, you know. A great edition of of Dynamite, and they continue to put on these these stellar shows. And this is going to be one of those very interesting numbers because th- this was a pay per view. Like this was a pay per view level card that had a pay per view level build behind it. Like these, this was two months of build towards this ladder match. This was a major Danielson match. This was uh, a a big pay-per-view style buildup for page and moxley and we cannot discount the curiosity about mercedes monet that was part of it too yeah the line uh, you know being put in there by uh uh, through brit we should say not by brit but through brit last week i mean we wonder we can always speculate whether or not that was intentional to maybe spark that little bit of interest towards the show maybe they're banking on the fact that this show was going to deliver that people weren't going to you know leave disappointed but either way i think if, if the number does well i'd be curious to see what the rating is particularly for that match in that quarter yeah maybe that's the line brick could have used that i know everyone's banking on who my opponent is going to be next week but yes. all right we we have a bunch of feedback here so let's uh Let's go through this. Uh, Robbie from London starts things off. A great show tonight, despite the lack of Monet showing up for the tag. Lots of great action and a hell of a surprise with the returning Adam Cole. With the news of Takeshita moving to the U.S., how far can you see him going in AEW? Um, high, very high. I don't, I don't put like a, a restriction on you know someone that has a clear connection with the with the audience. Like I, I, I do, I do simply just because like. You know, as far as Japanese talent that have like, you know, been promoted to a very high level, maybe like the highest right now has been who? Sheeta? In AEW. Uh, yeah, in yeah. AEW. Right. So um I think they're doing decently with Sheeta right now, but I would hardly say like she's sort of like a franchise player the way a Britt Baker is right now. Um so we'll see, like, you know, in the in the men's division, um, can Takeshita be uh, as high of a level as I don't know, like um hangman page for instance you know without the ability to promo like that strictly relying on in ring um we'll see maybe a pairing with callus isn't the worst idea you know well that would be uh, the function that don callus would have and don callus mm-hmm. making you kind of that that gateway to be a a made tell story talent yep. yeah uh, we got a Saeed from Vancouver who says, very strong start to Dynamite that kind of fizzled at the women's tag and then picked up after the ladder, ladder match. Big fan of T- uh, Brian and Takeshita. The crowd seems super disappointed with no Mercedes and were booing after the match, according to people there. Then they trolled them by turning the lights down for a few seconds while Hater and Britt were still in the ring before putting up the Rampage graphic. 
Okay. I mean, I can only speak for us at home that none of that was evident on on the broadcast. So to you, the viewer, it did not come across like that at all. And it didn't it certainly did not affect the next segment with Jericho and company and didn't definitely did not affect the ladder match. So you can't really say that the viewer at home um, saw that. But in the building, yeah, it, it does clearly show like there were people there with the hope of seeing Mercedes. I think we all felt it collectively watching at home. Uh, at least those of us expecting Mercedes Bonet on the show when they cut the commercial break and it was Excalibur saying like, Oh, you know, like they were closing the segment. We all felt it, but as far as the presentation goes, it didn't feel any different. Benjamin writes, the Adam Cole promo was perfect. I have to watch the rest of the show now. I had to finish some work. Okay. Um, I saw the hangman Mox match. It was great. A good way to write Mox off for his much deserved vacation. I turned back to the great finish in the best of seven series. Loved it. They really elevated the rivalry and the titles. Looking forward to see where it goes from here. I think we're all assuming Mox is taking vacation, but I mean, the guy could just show up. At, I don't know. The GCW like the next weekend or, or something. Um, and that wouldn't surprise me. Let's go to Corey from LA who says great matches tonight, completely soured by MJF and his promo to be to just be blatantly racist as the heel, heel promo wasn't original in the 80s, and it's certainly not in 2023. It's unacceptable that it even got this far. In AEW, Tony Khan, MJF, all of the above should do better. It just fed into the audience near me and let them lean into their own racist tendencies. Wrestling doesn't need to be this way. It's, a, it's um, I mean, I have my reservations, you know, obviously about like lines, um, like, you know, what, what was said, but I, I don't blame MJF for it, and I would blame the racist that you're sitting next to. And I'm very sorry, Corey, you had that experience. Um, I, I like, is there a responsibility for the product to like, you know, try to prevent um, reactions like that? Perhaps I, I, I just felt like tonight though was like in wrestling, much to 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 a greater extent in something like a battle rap. I think in wrestling when you're trying to stir up. Uh, rivalry and, and hatred in, uh, in the audience to want to see you get beaten up or see, to see you get your verbal comeuppance. I, I think lines like that are fair. And I, I don't think he's overstepped too many boundaries. You had Takeshi to, you know, um, basically end the segment on top uh, of the and MJF exchange. like showing his ass at the end of it. Like I didn't look at that as like a glorification of it either. Um, it's always I, a risk, of course, depending on the town, because you could have had, a, he could have incited a take a shit, a chant, you know, from this audience, but this was not an audience that was playing along like that. And I think maybe you'd be selective, but where you deliver promos like this, LA, you know, is a very multicultural place and they were firmly on the side of Takeshita and were booing MJF rightly. But I, I'm, I'm sorry, Corey, like at least thankfully, you know, the people that you're sitting next to did not come across on TV, but that's that's awful. Yeah, I mean, there's there's no uh, justification for fans uh, sh- shouting anything like like that. A hundred percent. Johnny from Saskatoon. Great show tonight. This is my first time seeing Dynamite in its new setting, and I feel like the camera production has improved quite a bit. The L.A. crowd showed up big time. Both Moxley Page and Danielson Takeshita were great. Hard-hitting matches. Takeshita uh, matches are always a treat, but I feel like he's somewhat uh, utilized as a showcase fall guy, for lack of a better term. Uh, that said, I'm sure he will rise, and uh, his rise will begin any day now. The latter match was a tremendous sprint. I feel like the Death Triangle could have kept those titles, but who knows where it all goes from here. I, I thought that the best course forward was the elite. Like you've had death triangle with the titles. The elite never had their run. And to me, it's like, they are on legitimate, like main eventers in the company. And that's, you're establishing these belts, which didn't get off to the intended start because of the, the problems that existed. Um, 
Yeah. Lastly, he says, I wasn't holding my breath for Monet to appear. I feel that the women's division is getting to a good spot and they don't need to add more talent to the mix. They should start expanding on what they have. Those are his thoughts. I think we can obviously discuss whether or not the company needs Monet and whether or not it's a good decision to bring her in. The criticism from you and I tonight is the seed that they planted last week to tease it and then not delivering it. That to me is what I do have an issue with. Um, so anyway, yeah, I, I don't have any, uh, argument for her not coming in. If, if I could, uh, get her, I, I would want her in, in my company, but yeah, it's like, I wouldn't be teasing things you can't deliver. Cause I think then, then you open yourself up. If that line is not there and that crowd is booing, I'm, I'm looking at the company and saying, listen, we never tease that. And that's an unfair expectation of something we never put out there. But when you throw that line in last week, it's fair game for this audience to read into that as other things that you have thrown out there with that intent and not deliver on it. Crowd booze. And had they, had they been much more louder and it come across on television, I'm not begrudging those fans for being upset. You tease something and you open the door for that criticism. Let's see what Cade has to say, who will be joining me on Rewind of Smackdown out on the free feed later this week on Friday. Cade says, I love so much about the show. Great opener. Wonderful to see Adam Cole back. Excellent match between Takeshita and Brian that legitimately got the crowd cheering for the both of them and a breathless finish to the best of seven series that ended exactly as it should with Kenny getting the win for his team. I'll forgive them for not having Mercedes, but the way the women's match unfolded left me wondering why they bothered with the mystery partner angle at all, rather than just have it be a story of Soraya trying to choose between Tony and Cheetah. And what the hell was with the two front row tickets that Britt gave to Soraya, the one she insisted on bringing up in an interview this week. They set up two angles they couldn't pay off in any way. Too bad because the women had a really good match that's going to be remembered for bad reasons. And then they followed up with the segment where the baby faces mocked one heel for not being able to control his wife and another for having a speech impediment. Now, I kind of want to see Jake Hager, Hager kick Stark's ass, which I was not expecting. Two misses that hampered an otherwise excellent show. Yeah. I, um, yeah, you go first. Well, I totally forgot about the front row tickets aspect of it. I mean, that's something they didn't even bother, you know, addressing. Ken Jong uh, and uh, Freddie Prince Jr. <laughs> were they going to be the mystery? Um, they weren't seated together. They were they were they were individuals. <laughs> the tickets that they got. Um, yeah, I- I'll be honest. Like the, the Andretti promo, like the the whole like controlling his wife bit. Like I I didn't take that. I, I didn't think that was a great direction from to go to. I think when it comes to Hager, I I. Don't think anyone looks at it uh, in a in a complimentary way towards uh, Jake Hager. I think they make that kind of part of uh, of Jake Hager's uh, characteristics. That the I, lisp, you mean? The what lisp, mean? yes. Yeah, I know what Kate means. Like it's you know, like what if I had a lisp and I was listening to that, you know, with the guy cheering somebody else, like making fun of a dude's lisp, right? Um, it's a tricky one. Um, again, it goes back to maybe some of like you know that MJF promo where like the goal is to trash talk, and I would. I would certainly excuse more of that sort of like more of that sort of trash talk from a heel delivering it to a ba- to a baby face who would ultimately give the heel his comeuppance. Um, I can understand it, but it, it, it you know, wrestling is sort of in, in a bit of a weird space where like what's stepping too far, you know, for, for inciting um, heat and rivalry. And for some people it might've been this line. And I think you're perfectly fine to feel that way. Um, I think it's pretty clear that like this thing was intended for somebody as big as a Mercedes Monet. It might not have been her, but it. I feel relatively confident in speculating that this was going to be set up for something big like her. 
uh, and maybe at some point conversations fell through or, or just aren't finalized yet. Manny from Pacoima, second live Dynamite was amazing. Great show from start to finish. I almost lost my voice when Adam Cole came out. I don't know if it came off on TV, but Tony and Soraya were acting a bit heelish at the start of the match. After the match, some music hit and the lights went out, only to show the Rampage matches, and the crowd began to boo, thinking it was Mercedes. Don't know if it was shown on TV, but Yuta came out to help Moxley walk to the back. Yeah, that was during the break, which uh, hmm. we, we did not see. Uh, okay. Looking forward to Supercard of Honor in L.A. I, I noticed the heelish um, sort of tendencies too. So maybe they'll play that up. Uh, let's go to Chris from Yonkers. who says, good evening. It was a solid show top to bottom. Even the low points weren't necessarily bad to me. The JAS Stark stuff and Andretti promo wasn't any of their best work, but I wouldn't say it was terrible. And even the lack of Mercedes and the women's tag didn't bother me since it wasn't a hundred percent, since I was not a hundred percent convinced she was going to show up the slow burn. They're seemingly doing what's Sheeta, Tony and Soraya is another storyline added to the women's division. Let's hope it gets some steam and some TLC from TK. The overhead throw from Hook in the tag match, one-winged Angel in the ladder match, and the entirety of the Mox, Hangman, and Danielson Takeshita were all moments for me tonight, especially popped at the Hangman win as I was driving at the time while watching. Okay, he says, please, everybody, do not do that. And you, sh- and I'm going to cut that off right there because um, you should not be watching wrestling um, when you're driving. No, no, absolutely not. You can listen to wrestling podcasts. When you're driving, that's perfectly yeah, that's, fine. That's fine. Okay, I'm going to go to uh, Cody from Maine. Mixed feelings this week. The in-ring was fantastic, as was the surprise return of Adam Cole. I'm glad he didn't turn heel by the end of the segment. Yeah, that would have been a bad idea. The lack of Mercedes Monet, uh, forego the boss line from Brett, and what they did would have been perfectly fine. The Jericho appreciation is a segment. On top of not advancing the story, it succeeded in making Ricky and Andretti Andrade look like absolute douchebags. It's one thing to have a heel champion in MJF walking a line and to to some crossing it. But with what he said to Takeshita, um, it's another to have the baby faces come up with really cringe lines towards the heels, particularly Andretti towards Ty Mello. Starts will be fine, but is this the first slip up with him in a while? At least the crowd reacted, I guess. Um, that's kind of what it's going to be judged on. And I didn't sense it was a rejection of either of them by uh, the audience. I didn't sense that either um online you might see a very different reaction and yeah maybe they they overstep their their balance if if you're getting you know more than uh, one very small sampling uh, or a couple small samplings of like a broader audience already on our forum then i have to imagine a lot of people echoed it 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 certainly irked me as well maybe not enough to the point where like it soured me on the entire segment but i think that's something they probably have to look at uh you know especially if uh, ricky starks is trying to ingrained himself as this like you know big baby face i mean the comparison is always of course there with him and dwayne johnson the rock in 98 and dwayne johnson has certainly entered this sort of uh territory um pretty much in every single well 90 percent of his promos um could be a bit of that but yeah maybe for 2023 there's it's it's a bad look Last thing here is uh, Jay from Windsor, who says, awesome to see Adam Cole back. In my opinion, there's no better talent than him in the entire industry. Hopefully, he's a featured guy moving forward, which I'm sure will be the case. After such a shitty 24 hours for the industry, it was nice to just watch a good wrestling show. Not surprised Sasha didn't debut. If I'm her and I'm waiting, uh, I'm I'm waiting and seeing how the WWE situation plays out before making any long-term decisions. 
All right. Well, thanks, everyone. We had a lot of feedback tonight. And thanks to all of you for tuning in tonight. A lot of news to go through and a big edition of Dynamite as well. So uh, once again, you can check postwrestlingcafe.com. $6 gets you in the door with access to multiple bonus shows per week, including this week's Rewind Away covering WrestleMania 8 and the Hard to Kill post show that will be dropping on Friday night with myself and John Cena. You can also check out Way and Kate from Montreal live free on this YouTube channel. Subscribe now at 11 Eastern on Friday. They will have Rewind to SmackDown. And then we've got the NWA podcast here Saturday night. WrestleNomics on Sunday. It's always go, go, go here at Post Wrestling. And let's hope, John, um, no earth-shattering news breaks, um, at least for the next 24 hours. Let, let's see. Let's see how that goes. Uh, thanks to everyone for checking out all of our stuff today. And we will speak with you later this week. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc